Believe it or not, this is my third conversation with Esther Lightcap Meek on this podcast. Uh, And I got to tell you, every time I come to the end of one of our conversations, I feel a little bit mentally exhausted. But I also feel like I have a better grasp on what's real and what's true and what really, truly matters. Uh, Now, in this episode, Esther and I talk about chapter two of her book, A Little Manual for Knowing, which is a fantastic book, and I encourage you to check it out. Uh, In that chapter and in this episode, Esther shows us that if we are to truly know someone or something, then we need to pledge ourselves to that which is yet to be known. We need to pledge ourselves to the knowing venture, which is an expression that Esther uses, and we need to pledge ourselves to be open to, to consent to, the reality of that which we are coming to know. Now, I hope that doesn't all sound too intangible. Uh, Maybe think of it this way. If we are called to love our neighbors, then we need to know who our neighbors really are. Right, Not just know about our neighbors, we need to really know them, which means that we need to pledge ourselves to the process of coming to know them, and we need to pledge ourselves to being open and receiving what we discover as we come to know our neighbors. We need to let our neighbors, and of course by neighbors I mean our families, our friends, our spouses, our congregations, our communities, we need to let them be who they truly are. Are. We need to pledge ourselves to them. And only then can we truly love our neighbor. I wanted to prime you a little bit for this conversation because we really do dig deep uh, into this topic. Uh, Now, before we get into the episode, can I ask you a favor? Uh, If you have found this podcast to be valuable to you, would you tell someone about it? Would you send a text or an email to someone that you know who you think might benefit from the kinds of things that we talk about here at Spiritual Life and Leadership? Uh, Maybe there's a recent episode that you think someone that you know might really enjoy. Maybe this one after you've listened to it. I would be so grateful if you would help me get the word out about Spiritual Life and Leadership. And I I also want you to know that I'm just really grateful for you and for your partnership in this work that we're doing. And I'm really excited to bring you this conversation today with Esther Lightcap Meek. I'm Marcus Watson, and this is episode 85 of Spiritual Life and Leadership. everyone. I'm here with Esther Lightcap Meek. Uh, Esther is the professor of philosophy at Geneva College and also the author of a great book called A Little Manual for Knowing, among other books. Uh, hi, Esther. How are you doing? Fine. It's great to see you, be with you. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I'll share with our audience. Uh, usually I use something to record uh, called Zencaster where I, d- I can't see my, uh, the person I'm speaking with. And Esther and I, this is our second try on this. We tried a week ago and we just couldn't, like we kept losing each other. So today we're like, well, it started happening again. We said, well, let's try Zoom. Uh, (laughs) So we're using Zoom and we can see each other and it's kind of cool. We're (laughs) face to face, so to speak. (laughs) And uh, I I love it. Uh, And I, and I mentioned this uh, in our first try last week. I, uh, I've been, I've really, this is our third conversation for the podcast and I've really enjoyed talking with you and, Mm -hmm. Even though we've never met in person, I feel like I know you a, li- a little bit, you know, <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah it's, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, so uh, Esther, um, 
just tell us kind of briefly, uh, real quick, what you do in terms of uh, your role as a professor and that. And, sure. Uh, yeah. So I've been professor of philosophy at Geneva College, along with my dear colleague, Dr. Bob Frazier. We're the philosophy program, and we're embedded in the Bible department at Geneva College. And um, there I've taught uh, an array of things, but uh, to the purposes of why we're having this conversation, um, my work has grown in connection with teaching a course there called Christian Understanding of Life. Hmm. And uh, it's in that course that my big book, Loving to Know, Introducing Covenant Epistemology, came into existence. And um, then a little manual for knowing, which you found and, and uh that has a, occasioned these conversations is kind of like a skimming the cream off the top of loving to know. It's got eight motifs in it that um, are uh, lovely ideas that come out of, of loving to know. So uh, that brings me to this point. But uh, yeah, so I've been a I've been blessed to be at Geneva College, and it's a little odd right now with a you yeah. know. Uh, we're doing simultaneously virtual and actual. Yeah. So uh, as long as it's allowable, we'll be in the classroom, but we're also recording and we all always have people in remote too. So we don't, we're, we're doing the best we can, but yeah. uh, you know, meeting ourselves coming yeah, and right. going, I think. That's right. We, we're doing yeah. the best we can. <laughs> yes, you know, you asked me about Geneva and what I do. The other thing that would be interesting is to say that I got the job at Geneva College 16 or 17 years ago because I wrote Longing to Know. Mm -hmm. And that book uh, was my first philosophy book, and it's for people considering Christianity who have questions about knowing, so faith, mm -hmm. doubt, certainty, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was interviewed by uh, Ken Myers of Mars Hill Audio, and the former president at Geneva College heard the interview and got mm -hmm. me there. <laughs> awesome. That's <laughs> so, awesome. So it really was uh, the work in, that I do in philosophy that got yeah. me hired. Oh, that's awesome. That's great. And you, how long did you say you've been there? 17? Is that uh, well, I see. I started in fall of 2004. So it, that oh. makes, I've completed 16 years. Yeah. Of wow. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Um, all right. So let me ask you, uh, now you, I, I've already had you on twice, episodes 46 and 58, in case anyone wants to go back and listen to those. And I've asked you some kind of get to know you questions there. Let me just ask you one little fun get to know you question. And that is, um, if your life was a book, what would its title be? Well, I've actually been thinking about this recently, and I, I did a, a talk along this line, too. I, I like the idea of uh, the title, My Quest for Reality. Mm. And um, uh, at this point in my life, I'm pretty exuberant about that quest. But uh, if, you, if I tell the whole story of my intellectual autobiography, I go from what I what I think of as skepticism about reality to what I call exuberant realism. Oh, wow. <laughs> so my quest has become a very merry one and I feel like I've I've jumped into it now the way one jumps into the waves at the shore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's so. great. Uh, that's great. So my quest for reality, that would be the, yeah. That's yeah. great. That's great. Well, good. Um, well, so uh, in the first episode that you're on, episode 46, um, you shared uh, some of your story. Um, but why don't you just kind of uh, refresh our memory a little bit in terms of kind of what led you to 
yeah. your interest in epistemology and um, right. Yeah. Well, I what I feel was the outset of my uh, quest was when I was around thirteen, finding myself with these crazy questions. Uh, one was, how do I know that God exists? And that, in the face of the, the fact that I, you know, grew up in a Bible-believing home and church and knew that the Bible told me what I needed to know about God and knew my Bible pretty well. <laughs> but I had the question, how do I know that God exists? But I also had the simultaneous question, and this seemed even deeper to me, which is how do I know, how do I know there's anything outside my head? Yeah. And I had this presumption, which is really ridiculous, but really telling that everything in my head, so all my my impressions and ideas and and perceptions and the content of my mind, all that was certain, and precisely because it was certain content in my mind, it was blocking me from knowing whether it was actually out there. Mm. So kind of like this Zoom conference, Marcus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I'm seeing you. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I can't be sure you're there. <laughs> Only that's in far away as the ones. So so um, it just seemed to me that I had no proof of, of that there was a world outside my mind. Right. And um, I didn't tell people about my questions because I thought they were probably, you know, sort uh -huh. of like people would have <laughs> a problem with. But um, so you can see my questions were epistemological, but I didn't know that word. And I didn't know what philosophy was. And it was a few years later that I uh, read some of the beginning works of Francis Schaeffer, thanks to my mother working in a Christian bookstore. And um, that was when I it was through reading the God who is there that I realized my questions were philosophical, yeah. not sin or crazy. And that responses to them had sh shaped cultural epochs across the disciplines, which yeah. I loved. I love the interdisciplinariness about that. Yeah. And, um, but, but, and then it wasn't until a few years later that I found out you could study philosophy. Hmm. And so it was, with that realization that it took me 12 hours to uh, change the entire course of my life. Mm. And um, that, so that was the defining moment. Wow. And I've been, you know, going gung ho ever, ever since. Yeah. And really, if you look at the four books that I've written, uh, I, I think that you can see that to get taken together, there are a cycle of books that, mm are my best effort to respond to my two eighth grade questions. So longing to know and loving to know and little manual for knowing have to do with the question about knowing God hmm. and knowing in general. And then uh, my uh, fourth book, which actually was um, is, is a revised and updated version of my dissertation hmm. is called contact with reality. Okay. And so uh, it's, you know, a kind of a corpus um, that responds to those two questions. And then um, yeah. I finished contact with reality um, as I was, you know, writing the, the draft. I made sure that the last word in it was beginning. 
<laughs> because I felt like I was finally ready to begin. I don't know, wow. like, whatever. That's uh, cool. You know, uh, just and in particular, beginning to launch into reality. And uh, so if you go back and you, you think that questions about epistemology or knowing obviously have to do with whether uh, you're getting it right about reality or can connect with reality at all, yeah. I had to deal with the epistemological questions and now I've gotten permission wow. <laughs> from doing a responsible job, hopefully, cool. with Thanks. the questions that I can consider what's really there. Yeah, yeah. So, that's great. And, that, and I'm in a very, I'm, I don't know, I couldn't be merrier. I'm a very merry metaphysician right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, let's, uh, so what we, uh, the first time we spoke, we kind of spoke generally about the concept from a little manual for knowing. And then the second time we talked about the uh, love as a uh, part of the knowing venture, as, as you call it. And yeah. so I thought today we'd talk about uh, the next chapter, which is pledge. And so let me just ask, what does pledge have to do with knowing? Mm -hmm. Okay, that's good. Well, uh, I refer to my proposals about how knowing works. I refer to them as covenant epistemology. And um, so the idea of pledge uh, is kind of really there front and center in that term. And um, I, I would have to say one of the uh, best... Uh, well, the place that I started to put this together was reading Annie Dillard's Pilgrim at Tinker Creek. Hmm. And um, that's an amazing, <laughs> that's okay. an amazing book. But uh, uh, she's a, you know, a, a nonfiction artistic essayist, and uh, she spends a year uh, in, in isolation in this cabin in Virginia and, and uh, reflects on all kinds of things in there. But she's got this famous chapter called Stalking Muskrats. Hmm. And uh, so she describes what it takes to be able to see a muskrat hmm. and how you have to uh, wait very still. Uh, she calls it the, the via negativa and says that the muskrat itself tells you what you need to do in order to stalk them or in particular what you need to not do. Hmm. And if you don't get it right, you'll never see a muskrat. But what you have to do is actually compose yourself to give up your dignity and sit very still and uh, don't scratch your nose or uh, anything like that and expect the muskrat to show up. And so as I was reading what she was saying about all that you had to do in order to be graced to see a muskrat, uh, it struck me as covenantal language. Mm. And so even in longing to know, I was saying, well, knowing's a little bit like a marriage. Mm. So you've got a promise to love, honor, and obey, and that's in advance of, of the, the grace of reality self-disclosing. So that's what I mean by pledge. Wow. Um, so, yeah. so in a knowing venture, what I have in mind is our moving from knowing nothing about something to, to knowing it. And so the knowing venture is always uh, a one of discovery. So it you, it's a not yet knowing, <laughs> mm. right? And, and so when you think about the relationship of the knower to the known, it's really the knower to the not yet known yeah. that's of interest. How do you come to know anything at all? 
right? And so in order to, ha uh, to come to know something, what I argue is that the yet to be known is person-like and yeah. you need to comport yourself in a way to invite it. And that, Im that involves uh, pledging yourself in several ways to what you do not yet know. You've got to pledge somehow to live life on the terms of the yet to be known. You have to pledge to do what it takes and invest what it takes uh, in order to come to know it. You've got to pledge to be okay with it once it, mm. once it reveals itself. Yeah. Right? And so one of the things that, that the whole idea of pledge in Chapter 2 of Little Manual brings out is the risk and the commitment mm -hmm. and the consent and also the trust hmm. that are involved in any act of coming to know, which yeah. that, that's all language we never use with regard to epistemology, yeah. but we ought to. Let, let, me, let me read this quote uh, from that chapter because it, uh, and maybe you can reflect more, but it, it kind of re uh, reflects what you've been saying. One of the things you say is, we pledge to give ourselves to the yet to be known and to consent to its being. I like that. Um, we pledge to take the risk to follow something that may prove not to be there, uh, something that may prove to be way different from what we imagine, right? So there's that language of consent. There's that language of risk. Um, uh, yeah, uh, maybe say a little bit more about that if, if, uh, if there's more to say. <laughs> well, I'd like to focus on the word consent because mm -hmm. uh, I, I, the, the longer I go in life, the more I think about that word consent. And consent is saying yes. Yeah. So I think in the, the sentence you read, it, it says uh, you've got to consent to its existence or to it being there. Isn't that yeah. what it said? Uh, so, and, yes. you know, that's kind of obvious. If you're looking for a cure for cancer, <laughs> yeah. you've got to you, uh, just agree that it's there. Yeah. <laughs> Or yeah. you wouldn't even go looking for it. So that's a that's what that how consent is being used there. But there's also uh, in 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 pledge you you've got to somehow say yes to a lot of things. Mm -hmm. You've got to say yes to yourself. You've got to be you've got to say yes to this thing that you're inviting. And 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 uh, there's something magical yeah. I, I don't mean that literally but there's sure, something sure. mysterious about this saying of yes mm. okay so it it is a distinctively human personed thing well let me say personed thing because okay. I, I i also would like to push it back and say all of reality is the consent of god mm. Because every everywhere your eye lands, your eye is landing on his yes. Wow. He's saying yes. Hmm. Yes. Yes. So we are a tissue of his consent, right? Huh. So so it's only reasonable <laughs> yeah. that that consent would be involved in, in my my opening myself to the consent of God. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, oh, me, and by me, the way, yeah. Uh, I know you're forming a great question there. Well, <laughs> I'm reflecting. Go ahead. The opposite of consent, by the way, is acedia. So that word, A-C-E-D-I-A, 
is uh, historically known as one of the seven deadly sins. It's often, uh, I think, misunderstood, misinterpreted as laziness. Mm. But actually, you can be prodigiously active and be committing the sin of acedia. Because mm. what acedia is, is refusal to consent to being. Refusal and so you can be... Okay. So, and so it's, it, it, you know, acedia is the opposite of consent. And you think about this. Think about, uh, perish the thought, people who somehow are living out a big no to themselves uh-huh. or a big no to God, right? They, there's a, a, a texture to their lives that's not pretty, mm. right? Yeah. Um, and then there's people who are living out a big yes to reality, a big yes to God, yeah. right? And there's yeah. this beauty. Yeah. about their lives. So so I think all of us can struggle just to get to the place where we say yes to ourselves. Yeah. I've been reading Dallas Willard. Is he a, mm. a friend, somebody that you know and love? Uh-huh. Okay, and he makes a big deal of this in his work, that you, if you're going to love God, you've got to be consenting and saying yes to yourself. Mm. So that's a first place that disciples not need to begin, is, is to be living out the yes to God. When you say consent to yourself, uh, what, what do you mean? So to your true self, so to speak, is that what you mean? As yeah, I, to... I could lay my hands on the Dallas Willard book. I would just say it's saying yes to who you are mm-hmm. as you are. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's, yeah, your true self uh yeah we'll say who yeah. just who you really are who you really and are and yeah. the intriguing thing about this is dogs just don't have a problem with authenticity and we actually have the option to accept ourselves or reject ourselves mm-hmm. and it plays out you know yeah. so yeah. there's there's almost like this this consenting to yourself mm. which of course, if you are God's yes, if you're saying no to yourself, that's probably not smart. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so you need to be saying yes with God's yes. Right. Uh, that, that reminds me of, um, and I don't have the exact quote, and I don't remember, oh, well, I think John Calvin might have said something about this, but throughout history, people have said, if you're going to know God, you have to truly know yourself. If you're going to truly know yourself, you have to really know God. There seems to be some of that in, in what you're saying. Yeah. Well, I, I would like to consent knowing and consent. I'm, I'm sorry, I would like to connect knowing and consent. Mm-hmm. And I tend to think that we don't understand that connection. Hmm. We tend to, when we think of knowledge, and this is just what we've inherited without thinking about it, we tend to think of knowledge as information that we passively connect and uh, it doesn't have anything personal in it. It doesn't have anything responsible in it. It doesn't have anything like consent in it or pledge. It has nothing of that in it. Okay. And so we would think that pledge is like an add-on. So you collect the information and then you make a decision to pledge yourself to it. Well, it's not like that at all. Okay. I, I think um, maybe we could use like a, a concrete example here. <laughs> a lot of talk about consent and play. Anyway, uh, and and uh, what, how how would you if you were yeah how would you get, uh, explain this concretely? 
you know, to someone who's 15, <laughs> let's say, <laughs> which sometimes I feel like my 15 year old. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I most want to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm, I'm not much of a movie seer, so all my movie okay. examples are old. Okay. But do you remember Avatar? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Did you see Avatar? Is that, is that, that's okay, an old with movie the, now, I guess. Lady. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, the climactic moment of the film, she says to him, I see you. Mm. Which it had become evident in the film that among her people, mm-hmm. that, that was like the ultimate consent. Yeah, you're right, right. I see the real you, right? Well, or just I see you. Hmm. So, you know, we'll talk about people uh, pretending like another person doesn't even exist. Yeah. So that would be a refusal to consent to their being. Right. And then tie that into knowledge, into knowing. Um, So when you see someone, you know them. Uh, Yes? Well, you you need to be... First of all, you need to consent in order to see them. (laughs) You know, it's like acknowledging their existence. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. And and so if I, let's say we're just meeting each other. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, you had to, today, you had to say, okay, I'm switching to Zoom. Well, Mm -hmm. I had to consent to that. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) Otherwise, we would not be having this conversation, right? And and how do I consent? Well, I click on the link you send me, right? Right. But I had to do that. Yep. Okay. So I would like to suggest that uh, involved in this act of coming to know, if you're going to see it as a knower yet to be known relationship, Mm -hmm. let's say I want to learn to to read biblical Hebrew. Mm-hmm. I have got to consent to a whole lot of stuff in order to get going on that quest. Okay. At Geneva, Dr. Byron Curtis teaches Hebrew. Hmm. And you got to sign up for his class. And not only is that consent, but it's a whole pile of money, yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? But then it's a whole pile of work. And, and so you not only have to consent to it, but you also have to pledge to do what it takes. Right. So like in Little Manual, and, and I, Little Manual is a book that will work in a lot of different situations. And one of, them, one of those situations is it can be used in an orientation class yeah. for college or anything. It's been used as seminaries, for example, mm-hmm. as an orientation. So that may, and in little manual, I say, well, every class, you know, when you go to class the first day and they give you the syllabus and it describes what you have to do, the course description, and, you know, you're going to have to do this for 20% and that for 10%, da, 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 da. it's almost like at the end of that class, you need to have a ceremony. But even without the ceremony, a student has got to say, okay, yeah. I consent to this. Hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say yes to this arrangement, and then I'm going to pledge myself to do what it takes yeah. and trust what the teacher says and trust that what the teacher is saying I have to do, I need to do in order to come to the understanding that is promised. Yeah. 
So there's this saying yes, and then this giving oneself in pledge. Yeah. Um, th- you know, the example that kind of comes to mind for me is marriage, um, where, so I, I read a book called Visions of Vocation by Steve Garber uh, not too long ago, and uh, he he quotes a, a poem from he Madeline my Lingle. friend. Oh, really? Oh, I, he, he was on a few episodes ago. I had him on a few. Uh, so <laughs> anyway, he's a great guy. But he, he quotes a, 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 a poem by Madeline Lengel, and it's about marriage. And I don't remember the exact text of it, but what I remember is, um, oh, I wish I could remember the text now. Hang on. I'm going to get the book, and I'm gonna, it's right behind me, and then I'll edit this out uh, when I... <laughs> the final version. Okay. So here's this poem uh, that, that uh, he, he cites in, in the book. Uh, he says, because you are not what I would have you be, now, this is Madeline Lengel's poem. Because you are not what I would have you be, I blind myself to who in truth you are. Seeking mirage where desert blooms, I mar your you, right? I damage you because I'm looking for something that's not really there. It says, ah, I would like to see past all delusion and reality. Then would I see God's image in your face, his hand in yours, and in your eyes, his grace. Because I am not, because I am not, what I would have me be, I idolize two who are not any place. I have to reflect on that a little more. But anyway, <laughs> uh, not you, not me, and so we never touch. Reality would burn. I do not like it much. Uh, rea- reality would burn, right? Sometimes reality is not comfortable, but it's reality. And yet in you, in me, I find a trace of love which struggles to break through the hidden lovely truth of me, of you. Anyway. Now, if I if I've been married for uh, 19 years now, if I had mar- read this year one, I would have said I have no idea what in the world she's talking about. <laughs> but after 19 years of marriage, I'm like, I understand because there is a uh, my wife's name is Robin. There is a Robin, you know, that when I married, I thought that she was, and she thought I was a Marcus uh, that maybe she didn't fully know yet. We. Um, and there was a Robin that perhaps I wanted her to be and a Marcus that she wanted me to be, but we're not exactly those people. And the, over the course of our lives together, we learn more and more who the other is. And sometimes they're not what we want, <laughs> right? But we have to, so using the language of consent, this is why it resonates with me. We have to consent to not only who they are, but we also have to pledge. That's why marriage vows matter, right? We're pledging to that ongoing process. I mean, marriage is a knowing venture, so to speak, right? That ongoing process of learning who the other is and letting them be who they are and Mm -hmm. loving that person. Not the, loving not the person that I want them to be, but loving the person that they actually are. Right. Even if, as we discover things that are like, oh, I didn't know that, but I'm not sure how I feel about that right now, but I'm going to choose to love. I'm pledge to love it. Right. Those are the first two chapters, love and pledge, <laughs> right? Yeah, that's and right. Know you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you've got the consent and acedia in there a little bit too. So mm. uh, you, you uh, say yes to and pledge to who that person is. And if you're holding out for who you want that person to be, that's acedia. Mm, mm-hmm. 
a, a kind of lazy laziness, but it's not laziness. I'm just trying it's to use a, a familiar it's word. It's refusal to consent to being. Refusal to consent. Okay. So, uh, and and so in the pledge chapter, part of what you do is is you when you pledge yourself to the yet to be known, you have to pledge to be okay with what that is yeah. when it's revealed. And that's so caught in the idea of marriage. You know, you, yeah. you have no idea <laughs> what yeah. you're getting yourself into, but yeah. what you're pledging to do is to love, honor, and obey that reality, not the idea in your mind. Yes, right, right. So that's a good example. Yeah. Now, um, uh, another thought that came to mind is we live in some very interesting times, um, not just with the pandemic, but lots of division in our culture. Um, and there's a, a, a this kind of expression that I hear a lot lately, confirmation bias in terms of the things that we choose to believe or not believe. And um, you know what? I'm guilty of that. <laughs> <laughs> of choosing of oh, I don't really want to read that article because I think it's going to say something that I don't want to believe. Uh, maybe say something about about that because here's where in in at least in one particular way it, it this idea of pledging ourselves to the yet to be known really matters. Um, maybe say something about that. Yeah, well, I I think you're right that that has to do with this conversation mm -hmm. because what pledge is saying is it. Uh, you have to pledge to the yet to be known if you want to know it. Yeah. And uh, there's no way that you're going to know it unless you do that. Hmm. And you have to pledge yourself to the yet to be known as it really is mm -hmm. for you to get to know it. Because if you don't, you just, it's like you don't get beyond your preconceived notions. Yeah. And you have to the idea that you might have to move beyond your preconceived notion for you to understand something. Hmm. It, it seems... Okay. You have to. Sorry, go, go ahead. Say that one more time. I was just going to say you have to. But yeah. if I can just say a couple more things. Michael Polanyi, this scientist turned philosopher whose work I have uh, adopted and adapted in my own. As a discoverer, he said that discovery would never happen if the scientists clung to the idea of rationality as they knew it. Hmm. But somehow they've got to subsidiarily or tacitly let go of that rationality and be open to a farther rationality in the context of which the discovery would only make sense. Hmm. All right. Now, having said that, the best example of that is the road to Emmaus. <laughs> hmm. So if you, if you think of point A to point B, you know, Jerusalem to Emmaus, at, at point A, you could say there's no way that the disciples could have acknowledged Jesus having been raised from the dead mm -hmm. because their rationality structure included the, you know, really reasonable assumption that dead men don't rise around the dead. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and that, that he had actually died and that many was for dead, for good dead, you know, that sort of a thing. Yeah. And yet as they talked with them, what the text actually 
re uh, records is that their hearts were burning within them, mm -hmm. meaning that something about them was out and beyond where they were. Mm -hmm. And so in, a, in some way, they were able tacitly to let go of some preconception and uh, move in advance to yeah. a rationality that w in the context of which alone yeah. that, you know, they could recognize Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. So to your confirmation bias point, yeah. yes. And, and uh, we're all kind of bent that way. We might call it laziness. Mm. We might call it acedia, especially if mm. we're standing there looking at somebody and we're refusing them the respect of listening to them, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? That would be ascetic, mm. you know? So, so uh, uh, also in like the other chapters of Little Manual, it's gonna take humility. It's gonna take a whole lot of humility, yeah. <laughs> you know, to, to be able to kind of set aside some of your preconceived notions in order even to be able to listen to what the reality is that's speaking to you. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Humility, probably some surrender. Uh, that's con I guess that's consent in a sense. Consent yeah. is a form Respect of Respect is a huge one. Mm. And trust. You talk about trust, trust. too. Yeah. yeah, oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. It's like all of these are active and critical to any act of coming to know. Yeah. And that includes your, it includes God and it includes your neighbor. Yeah, yeah. Um. Let's, uh, we'll kind of draw to a close here. Um, but what, uh, okay, so we've got a lot of pastors and ministry leaders listening to this. Let's, let's make it applicable for what the, the work that they do. Uh, how, how can this help them be more fully who they were called to be? Well, I would like to suggest that uh, reality by definition is God and his stuff. Mm. And beings that you're dealing with God, it's kind of like the uh, dragon in uh, The Hobbit. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, there's this great line that somebody should have made into a poster from The Hobbit that says, it does not do to leave a live dragon out of your calculations, especially if you live by him. <laughs> and, um, you know, I... I think that not only have we inherited a defective epistemology, but we've inherited a defective metaphysics mm -hmm. where we think that reality is inert mm -hmm. and not the sort of thing that changes us. Mm. Whereas we're dealing with a live dragon when yeah. it comes to God and his stuff. Mm. Because everywhere his stuff is his yes. <laughs> yeah. Right? And we, the relationship that we have with God, far from being some sort of private inner, da -da -da, mm -hmm. it, it is actually the paradigm of all knowing. Mm. And all know, we need to see all knowing as transformative. Yeah. Right? So it, it's, it's, uh, somehow we've got to find ways to reconfigure people's default philosophical presumptions that they don't even know they have. Mm -hmm. And if we don't, as Leslie Newbigin says, nobody's going to hear the gospel in the West mm. okay, because the gospel has been domesticated or castrated yeah. in the West 
by epistemology and metaphysics. Wow. So they can't even hear the gospel. And so there's all this work that has to be done, that's, which is why I think I'll never run out of a job. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but I think right. that it has to happen. Another thing, uh, can I just say, uh, yeah. and this Steve Garber is uh, one point in the conversation, and then yeah. a conversation I had with a young man who's doing a dissertation in student ministry mm-hmm. on the question of why lots of youth leave the church. Mm. And he's read my books and realized it's epistemology. Mm. Because if you think that knowledge has to do with collecting information and then making a decision about it, that is so totally, there's no sense of responsibility or pledge in there at all. Yeah. And Stephen, Steve Garber's Fabric of Faithfulness addresses this mm-hmm. issue, issue, you know? Mm. But what I what I feel is that We've got to redraw how people understand how knowing works. Hmm, yeah. And it's not adding on something they don't already know. It's actually returning them to their childhood hmm. and to the things that they're already doing right. Okay? Hmm. Yeah. And, and uh, pay attention to what you're actually doing when you ride a bike. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then trans carry that over into other things that we do. Yeah. yeah. And that includes worship. Yeah. You know, you know what? Um, I, I'm not sure how well this applies, but I think it does. Like, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a preacher, so I'm always uh, pouring out information. <laughs> um, one of the interesting things about this pandemic and quarantine is that uh, now I still, I still do sermons and I record them and I put them on YouTube and, uh, that's kind of how we're doing church, but um, but because we're not meeting, I thought, well, I you know, I better stay in touch with folks. So I've started calling people on the phone. Now I would call when people needed it in the past, but now I just call them all the time. And um, and now I can't remember how I was going to tie this into what we were just talking about. <laughs> um, but uh, so, oh 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 right. So so I think. At least for some people, uh, the folks that I've been calling, these phone calls, these touching, my reality touching their reality, so to speak, is probably more spiritually formative than me pouring information into them. Um, I'm not sure how that connects to to that. Yeah. If I may gently uh, and humbly suggest that if you're pouring out information, that is not what you're called to do. Agreed. What you're called to do is show them Christ. Yes. And, and you know, it's kind of like the Bible. People, somebody said there's three Advents. One is the first Advent. The, second, the other is the second Advent. And the third is every time you open the scriptures, yeah. God comes. And I think a sermon is not information, but it should be live encounter. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, it's wonderful for you to call people, but you ought to see those as the same sort of transformative mutual encounter. So mm. your, your job is to show, you know, it, and not just your job, but the point of the worship is that God comes. Yeah. You know, when we say the invocation, it's not about calling the people to worship. <laughs> it's calling God to worship. Mm. And then why don't we act like he showed up? Mm. 
Yeah. Like, what is that about? Hmm. Take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. You know, yeah, it's just, yeah. how it's like, again, back to Thomas. Got that right. Check. No. <laughs> you fall on your, there's one posture yeah. on your face, yeah. on your yeah. face. Yeah. So I, I, I feel like we tend to have lost that even though the Bible says it because of our defective epistemology. Hmm. So that we can't even see what the Bible is saying. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, good stuff. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> let me uh, let me just let's let's we'll close right here and we'll pick it up again in a few months or so. <laughs> oh, I, may I say yeah. one more thing? Oh, for sure, for sure. You did ask me this, and I didn't uh, get to say it. And that is, you wanted to know what I was doing now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was going to ask you actually how what what you're doing now and how can we find out more about it so that okay all right <laughs> well um, what I am doing now hopefully is beginning a book series mm. and the book series is called Doorways mm -hmm. and it's going to have a, a collection of slim volumes <laughs> hopefully mm -hmm. each like the size of little manual uh, and uh, each one will be connected to a different discipline. Hmm. And the first one I'm working on is art. Okay. And the second one is liable to be business and entrepreneurship. Hmm. And the third is liable to be therapy. Hmm. <laughs> and a fourth might be education. And so what I'm doing is, connect, is exploring those philosophically, working from my epistemology and my, and my uh, nascent metaphysical thinking. Uh -huh. <laughs> so I'm okay. very excited about That's it. I'm, cool. just, I'm just very excited. I'm, I'm loving plunging into the whole idea of art because, yeah. for example, with art, what I'm trying to say is the creative act just is the act of coming to know, oh. which is why Makoto Fujimura mm -hmm. endorsed Little Manual for Knowing and makes all his artist fellows read it. Really? That's cool. Yeah. I remember seeing his name on the back of the book. Yeah, yeah that's great. That's great. Cool. Well, I'm excited to uh, read those as they begin to come out. How, how long until the first one comes out, do you think? You're well, you can pray. I okay. uh, would appreciate prayers, but it'd be lovely if I could have one come out each year. <laughs> That'd be great. That'd in, be the, awesome. in the next years. We'll see. Oh, good. Well, good. Well, we'll, we'll talk more about those as they, we get closer to that and as they okay. come out. That'd be great. Um, well, thank you, Esther. Uh, I loved having this conversation again. Um, it always, you're, I always feel challenged and like, okay, like in a good, in a good way, I learned something, I'm growing. I'm, anyway, I love it. So thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. So I, I have to ask you, had you ever considered that pledge and consent are required if we are to know reality? I had not, at least not until I had read Esther's book. Um, and uh, it's kind of an amazing concept, and it's an important concept. And it's true even in our relationship with God. In a sense, we might say that the process of spiritual formation, for example, is a process that involves pledge and consent. Right? We, we pledge ourselves to the process of spiritual formation, which includes engaging in spiritual practices, and we consent to letting God be God in that process. We pledge to being in relationship with the God that we discover in this knowing venture that we call spiritual formation. Oh my gosh, there's so much good stuff <laughs> that we could just keep unpacking. 
But we're in the outro of this episode, so I'll just stop right there. <laughs> well, thank you so much again for being here and for being a part of Spiritual Life and Leadership. Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, I would be so grateful if you would share this episode or any episode with someone that you know. And finally, uh, for those of you who are Patreon partners, Esther offers some really fantastic book recommendations. Uh, if you'd like to become a Patreon partner, you can do so for as little as $1 per month, which helps to make this uh, podcast possible. And so if you'd like to find out more about Patreon or how to become a Patreon partner, just go to www.marcuswatson.com Patreon. Again, that's Marcus with a K, Patreon spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Uh, now, I'm able to give you a heads up on our next episode, which I'm not always able to do. But uh, in our next episode, our guest will be leadership guru Ken Blanchard, uh, who's the author of books like The One Minute Manager, Leading at a Higher Level, and Lead Like Jesus. Ken is a great guy, and it's a fantastic conversation that I cannot wait to share with you. Well, thanks so much for being here, and I will see you next time here on Spiritual Life and Leadership. Spiritual Life and Leadership.